Foreman podcast should not be interpreted as legal advice and are intended for general information purposes only. Welcome to the Burn Foreman Take 5 Immigration Podcast Series. The Take 5 Podcast Series is a weekly five-minute high-level overview on what businesses need to know each week as it relates to immigration. My name is Melissa Zalian. I'm a partner on the Labor and Employment and Immigration team at Burn Foreman, and I will be your host for this podcast series. I've been working in the business immigration arena for more than 20 years in a wide variety of industries, including manufacturing, healthcare, and education. And today I'm joined by John Eggert, who's another attorney on the Burn Foreman immigration team. There is no question the immigration landscape has been moving at a fast and furious pace in the past few months. 2020 has brought about major major delays at U.S. embassies and consulates worldwide due to COVID. Presidential proclamations have restricted travel and visa issuance, and several new rules have been implemented which apply in the business immigration arena. Our goal on this podcast is to provide you with up-to-date, cutting-edge information on business immigration issues. So today, John and I are going to talk about some recent immigration developments, including some new rules that have been implemented, implemented and those which have been blocked by various courts over the last year. So John, can you start us off today with a quick overview on the status of the COVID-19 travel restrictions? Sure. As most people know, the United States started restricting travelers from China in February. And since then, really, the list of countries has grown to over 30 on three different continents. Currently, four nationals who were physically present in China, Iran, the United Kingdom, Ireland, Brazil, or any country within the Shenzhen region of Europe during the 14-day period prior to attempting entry into the United States are going to be denied entry by Customs and Border Patrol. But there are some exceptions to this travel ban that's in place. Certain individuals like U.S. citizens, green card holders, and parents of U.S. citizens are going to be exempt from these restrictions. Additionally, business travelers, investors, and treaty traders can apply for what's known as a national interest exemption through a pretty simple process that involves an email to a U.S. consulate or Customs and Border Patrol. Another workaround we've seen some clients use is to just travel to a third country for a 14-day period. Once more than those 14 days has elapsed, the foreign national can then fly to the United States and enter as they otherwise would because they're no longer subject to the travel ban. Now, it's important to keep in mind that that last strategy I just talked about, it it assumes that the foreign national has a valid visa in their passport, uh, which can be challenging right now because there's a different presidential proclamation in place that limits their issuance. Right, Melissa? That's right, John. It's always important to consider the visa strategy of someone at the outset and determine if there are any obstacles to obtain the visa aside from the travel bans that you just mentioned. And as we've discussed before on podcasts, a presidential proclamation was issued in June of 2020, which severely limits the ability of certain foreign nationals to obtain U.S. work visas, visas like the H&L, as well as the J visa, which is used for exchange visitors. And if an individual was outside the U.S. on the day of the presidential proclamation passage, which was June of 2020, and did not have a valid visa at that time, they were deemed ineligible to even obtain a visa at the consulate, which presented some real challenges. Now, there are exceptions to the visa bans, but they are limited in scope, and arguments have to be narrowly tailored and strategically crafted. But there is some good news, and that's that a major court decision recently issued an injunction 
which exempts hundreds of thousands of employers from the visa restrictions. And without getting into too much detail, the summary of this decision is that if a business is a member of the National Association of Manufacturers, the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, TechNet, Intrax, or the National Retail Federation, at least for now, the business and the employee that they seek to bring to the U.S. may be exempt from the proclamation dealing with the visa ban because of this injunction. So it's a great time for employers to quickly assess whether this injunction might apply and whether they can now bring H, L, or J visa holders into the U.S. Now, John, we've been hearing a lot about some changes to the premium processing program. So can you tell us a little bit about what that is and what these changes might entail? Yeah, and I think this is also kind of some generally good news from the immigration office. Premium processing has been around for years, but it's kind of been limited to certain types of visas and certain types of green card petitions. For those that might not be familiar, premium processing is kind of a fast track filing process where petitions are expeditiously approved in in a 15-day period. And right now, the premium processing fee is kind of an additional $1,440 on top of the normal filing fees that you would see. Under this new rule, there's been an expansion of premium processing, which is really good news for employers who are frustrated by the long waits they're experiencing to find out if their applications are going to be approved. One big classification of positions that this new rule will benefit is multinational manager green cards. These types of positions are routinely utilized to transition an employee from a temporary L-1A visa to a green card. And prior to this new rule, these types of multinational manager green card petitions were taking almost a year to be decided. Under the new rule, employers can get decisions as quickly as 45 calendar days, which is really, really good news. Foreign nationals applying for national interest waivers can also take advantage of the the new expedited decision-making process by paying an additional $2,500 fee. Some of the other categories that are going to be newly eligible for premium processing are foreign nationals applying to change their status, and those who are applying for work authorization. And really, the work authorization in particular, I think, will be a big help for those F-1 OPT employers that find themselves waiting on the immigration office for for months to approve their student workers' employment authorization document. I will say the one downside with this new rule is that it's going to increase the premium processing fee for those applications currently eligible for um, for the program, and it's going to increase them from $1,440 to $2,500. So as you can see, that's that's an increase of over $1,000, which is a big deal. So the big change there with premium processing, but the Department of Labor has also recently implemented a new prevailing wage rule that is going to have a major effect on H-1B visas and green cards, right, Melissa? Yes, John, there is a new rule in this area. So remember the prevailing wage comes into play because employers have to pay what we might call a floor wage to H-1B and green card beneficiaries when they sponsor them. And that's essentially the market wage for the position. The Department of Labor keeps a database listing various occupations and their corresponding wage levels, and that's how the prevailing wage is determined. So with the prevailing wage rule, the most significant change for employers is going to be that there are potentially higher prevailing wage rates that they now have to pay to H-1B and green card beneficiaries. Before the new rule, the Department of Labor set the prevailing wage for an entry-level H-1B employee at the 17th percentile of the wages paid to workers in the same occupation and in the same geographic area. 
Well, this new rule increases that entry-level wage to the 45th percentile. The new prevailing wage rule will also apply to Greens Card sponsorships. Now, the new wages go into effect immediately for new petitions, both H-1B and PERM petitions being filed, regardless of whether they are new filings or extension filings. And those petitions that have already been approved are not going to be subject to the rule until they're up for renewal. We've heard of potential litigation to prevent enforcement of the new rule, so stay tuned as to whether the new rule may be challenged. So we've talked about the H-1B a couple of times today, but the Department of Homeland Security recently issued a new rule that changes the definition of specialty occupation. John, can you tell our audience about that? Sure. And in, in, in reality, we've kind of been expecting this new rule for some time from the Trump administration, and they've kind of finally decided to move it forward to take effect in mid-December. Generally, a position qualifies for an H-1B visa if it requires at least a bachelor's degree in a specific field. And what this new rule first does is it tightens the restrictions on what types of jobs are going to qualify for an H-1B by not permitting those positions to require a general degree. So, for example, a position that requires a simple business administration degree without some sort of further specialization would not qualify for an H-1B visa under this new rule. In the past, employers could demonstrate a position met the H-1B position requirements by showing the degree requirement would be common to the industry. Under this new rule, however, that option has been eliminated. So that's another new change with this rule. The revised rule is also going to require a sponsor to demonstrate that the required degree is the minimum requirement for entry into parallel positions at similar businesses, so kind of within the same field that, um, that the individual will be. Uh, a couple other things with this new rule. The new rule also implements some aspects related third-party work sites. And a lot of these third-party work site rules were actually in place for the last several years, but they were struck down uh, by a court decision in early 2020. And under this new rule, those employers who place H-1B employees at third-party work sites are going to be required to demonstrate an employer-employee relationship exists but through things like contracts, work orders, or, or similar evidence. The new rule is also going to re-implement a requirement that their sponsor provide an itinerary for the H-1B employee working at multiple work sites, kind of demonstrating when the individual will be at, uh, at different work sites during the week and what they're going to be performing and, and that type of thing on the itinerary. One of the bigger changes to this new rule is that third-party worksite petitions will now be limited to a one-year validity period. And that's different from the typical H-1B petition that is limited to a, uh, a three-year validity period. So as you can see, lots of changes in the H-1B arena. And as with the prevailing wage rule Melissa just talked about, you know, we'll have to see if these rules are going to be challenged in the courts in the coming weeks to see if the kind of changes are really going to last for the long term. Well, thanks, John, for those updates. And it's really helpful just to, I think, go through this for our audience uh, listeners just so that they know, you know, what, what the new rules are and what might be coming down the pike. So that wraps up our Take 5 immigration update for this week. We hope this update's been helpful as we strive to cover business immigration issues at the forefront. And if you would like to see any topics addressed or have questions, you can reach me at M-A-Z-A-L-L-I-O-N at burr.com or John at J-E-G-G-E-R-T at Burr.com or any other Burr Foreman attorney. 
Also to find podcasts, webinars, and legal resources on immigration, please visit our website, burr.com. This series is also available on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for listening and have a great day.